Praise the Lord. Good morning. Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, happy Resurrection Day. Isn't exciting? You're in the house of the Lord on Resurrection Day. Praise the Lord. It says, When you were dead in your sins, everybody say, dead in your sins. That's us. And you were in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. Say, alive with Christ. That's us now. Praise the Lord, hopefully. It says, He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. After having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let me read it. That was in IV. Let me read in the King James. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened you together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, I just pray for your message. Lord, be a loving Father who speaks, Lord, to your people, Lord. Father, speak to those who are far off, Lord. Let them hear your gentle Loving voice, Lord God. Father, I just pray that you speak through me and take me out of the way, Lord. In your name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. It says, He blotted out the handwriting of an ordinance and nailed it to the cross. That interesting. Have you ever thought about that scripture? He blotted out the handwriting of an ordinance. And nailed it to the cross. Or the NIV says he canceled the charge of our indebtedness against us. And all week, and you know, I I preached a lot of Easter messages. And I preached, I think last year I preached on the Passover, which occurs on this, uh, this weekend of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is Passover weekend. And I think in the past I preached on, uh, I know I preached, I don't know how many messages I preached on Easter. And I preached about the details of his crucifixion. I've preached about the details of his life in those last eight days. Last week I preached uh, King of My Heart talking about Palm Sunday. And I preached a lot of messages on Easter And I was praying all week, God, what do you want me to preach? And I'm just going through praying and and thinking about the story of Christ and thinking about all the details that are around this last week of his life. And God just kept telling me, Colossians 2, nailed it to the cross. I kept thinking, man, what is it you want me to preach, Lord? Because I'll be honest with you, I preach messages that have given the details of every single thing that Christ went through 
when he was beaten. And how many think that moves people? You know, this is how he was mocked. This is how his beard was pulled out. This is how they slapped him and beat him and called him names. This is the God of heaven that they have the nerve to do this to. They beat him. They flogged him. They, they, the cat of nine tails. I've went through sermons about the details of that, and some people are moved. But some people, it doesn't move them. How many know that? Some people, I could tell the details about his life, and it doesn't really move them. Sometimes I can tell them that he died for all of our sins, and I'm not saying the people are being mean that don't hear it. It just doesn't, for some reason, register. It doesn't find a place, or maybe it even evokes some doubts. Like, why did he have to die for all of the sins? Why don't he just say they're forgiven? Why does he have to go through what he went through? I know it was difficult for him, but he's God. Why did he have to do it? You know, and there's some questions you have about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do today is I want to try. God just kept telling me, you got to stress and make him understand the thing that was nailed to the cross in Colossians chapter 2. And sometimes you can look at that verse and you can gloss over it and say, man, I know exactly what that is. And it's misinterpreted a lot. But the book of Colossians, and if you'll understand this, I think you'll understand much more about the cross, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection than maybe you ever have. But as he was writing the book of Colossians, Paul, this is called one of the prison epistles. That means that the writer of that book was in prison. And so as he's writing these epistles, he writes this interesting passage here in Colossians chapter 2, and he says that the lettering of indebtedness or the handwriting of ordinances was nailed to the cross. And so remember, he's sitting in prison, and I'm sure Paul's looking around, and I'm sure some of the things that he sees around him actually influence his writing. How many know when you got a lot of time to sit in prison? In fact, it's one of the greatest blessings the church has ever had that Paul was put in prison. Because he had a lot of time on his hands. Okay? I'm just guessing here. I'm speculating. He didn't have a whole lot of else to do besides you know, really pour himself into writing to the churches, okay? So he writes this letter, and, 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 and listen to this. There was a custom in ancient Rome when someone was convicted of a crime and sentenced to prison. Okay, that's what Paul did, right? So if you're convicted of a crime in Rome and you're sent to prison... They would nail a placard or a certificate of debt to your prison door. The certificate of debt would contain the crime that you committed and the number of years, months, and days that an individual was to remain in prison. Are you catching this? His cell had a placard on it that showed, here's the amount of days that I'm here and here's my crime. They had to write down the ordinance that you broke. How many know that when you go to court, there's a certain ordinance that you broke or you shouldn't be in, in jail, right? 
So the Romans, in an organized legal system, would write down in handwriting the ordinance that you broke and put it on your cell and put the amount of days you're serving for that. That means that is your penalty that you have to serve for the crime that you committed, and it must be in your handwriting. If you don't write it with your own hand, then somebody has to write it for you, and they say, we wrote this for him. Because they want it in your handwriting saying, this is the debt that I owe. So it goes on. They wrote down the number of years, months, and days the individual was to remain in prison. When that person had served his time, his certificate of debt was marked paid in full. It would then be taken to the judge to be notarized. That individual would keep his certificate of debt with him at all times. If someone were to accuse him of that crime, he would then take the certificate of debt and prove that he had already paid for his crime. If a man were guilty of a capital offense, meaning one that required your execution, the authorities would take the offense that he had committed and place it on the placard and then nail it to the cross above his head. So if you were... If you were had a capital offense, they would take the sign, the placard, they put it over your head. And it would say your crime, and then when you died, they would put on there paid in full. If it were a crime that required prison time, when you when you serve the amount of days that you were supposed to be in prison, and you finally finish that last day, you've paid your debt. So now you would take that and you'd keep it with you. We have a law today called double jeopardy, which means you can't be tried for the same crime again. So you had to keep it with you so they wouldn't come back and say, hey, he did that, he should have got more time. He's like, no, I paid it, here it is. So the problem with Easter, here's the problem. And it's something I feel like the Holy Spirit was kind of leading me to understand about it, is we're disassociated from this event. We watch this event as if we're an observer. And I've even preached sermons about, you know, those who we nailed the nails in his hand. Or we were actively the ones who crucified him. Or, or, or even uh, things that pull people into that event. And God was just telling me through this message. In fact, I kept praying and praying about it. I said, God, I want to, I want to preach something else. I want to move on to something else. Maybe something totally off topic. I don't have to do an Easter message. God was like, no, that's the one. That's the message they have to understand because they don't understand the, the crime that they've committed. People don't understand the crime that they've committed. And if they understand the crime that they've committed, then this event will have meaning to them. And so I didn't understand the crime I committed. Because I always thought that my crime was I sinned. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor, where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? Wasn't it sin that put him on the cross? Yes and no. So, well, wait a minute. I better hurry him dig out of this hole, right? Hold on on that question for a second. What was Jesus' crime? And maybe I can figure out what my crime is. 
Because as you begin to read the Bible dictionaries about the period of time, there's only one crime that he could have been nailed on a cross to. Only one crime that they would have a capital punishment. Do you know that the Romans were exempt from being put on a cross? If you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be put on a cross. In fact, they thought it was very barbaric. They thought it was something that was barbaric and they hated it. And there's only one reason why the Romans used crucifixion. And there's one crime that was worthy of crucifixion. And usually it was about the only crime they ever put a person on a cross for. And that's because the Jews all throughout history were one of the most rebellious people that had ever lived. When there were the Assyrians were invaded, they, all the people around, and you can read it in the Bible, they said, annihilate that people because they will rebel to no end. They will not listen to anybody. God actually said, they're a rebellious people. They will not listen to me. The Babylonians had them in captivity and said, they are a very rebellious people. Just wipe them out. If it weren't for God's grace always being there to help the Israelites... They were always rebellious. And so during the lifetime of Christ, even during his lifetime, there were protests and riots in Jerusalem to try to overthrow the Roman government. There were at times five to 6,000 crosses where people were being executed by the Romans. And it had one purpose. The purpose was crucify a man, put him by a busy road, And let all the citizens walk by those crosses and make sure they know never rebel against Rome. Let them see the person scream in agony. Let them see the person really uh, in pain and and really in in serious um, pain. And let the people say to themselves, may that never be me. And so there was one crime that the cross was made for. And that's rebellion against the authorities of Rome. The only way, sedition or rebellion against the authorities is the only reason a person could be put on a cross. And stay with me, please. This is coming down to you. Okay, just stay with me. The two thieves, almost all experts agree, would not have been on those crosses unless they were part of a rebellion. They were part of a rebellion to overthrow the rule of the Romans. And there was a very large riot that I talked about last week that was led by a man by the name of Barabbas. And Barabbas led a riot. He was what we would call today an insurgent. He was a guerrilla fighter. He was a zealot. And those men that were beside him, they actually looked to Jesus and one began to mock Jesus. Barabbas was supposed to be in the middle. He was their leader and these were his subjects most likely on the left and the right of Jesus. And they began to mock Jesus and one of the men said, if you're the Savior, won't you come down and save us? And the other man said, be quiet. He said, stop. He said, we're up here for a good reason. We're here up here and we deserve it. He's here and he doesn't deserve it. He didn't do anything. But they were insurgents. They were rebelling against the authority. And so Jesus comes here, and in Colossians he says, our punishment. Did you see how he said that when I read that? 
He said, you were dead in your sins and God made you alive in Christ. He forgave you all your sins and he canceled your charge of legal debtedness which stood against us, condemned us. And you say, what was my crime? I say, what is my crime? We stand back and act like the execution has nothing to do with us. And God said, you've committed a great crime. Now, if it is a crime to rebel against Rome, who is the authority and who makes the laws, and authority is the one you're you're supposed to obey, the authorities obey the police, obey the government of Rome, if it is a penalty and I am condemned for disobeying mighty Rome, then what is the penalty when I disobey God? What is the penalty when I openly rebel against the king of the universe? And you say, well, Chad, when did this happen? The Bible is very clear that there is an event called the Garden of Eden. And you say, well, did he go? Did, did he die? Is it my sins that condemns me? No, it's your rebellion. Man's rebellion is what has caused us to be condemned. So what is the cross then? Yes, it's the forgiveness of my sins, but my sins are a symptom of my rebellion. You say, well, how did the rebellion start? Here's what happened. God said, I am the owner of the universe. I'm the king of the universe. I created all these things to benefit you. I love you. I I put you here to subdue it. I put you here to take care of it. I put you here to rule. Adam was the first person that was put there to rule as a king over the earth. He and Eve. God said, I have one law. Just one. We rebelled. We said, God, it's not about the sin. The sin is the, the, sin is the product of your rebellion. You say, God, I know better than you. God, I don't trust you. The, the, the serpent said, God knows that when you eat of this, you're going to be more wise. You know, God said this. God said, do you believe God? And we rebelled. The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray. We went away. We rebelled against the authority of heaven and earth. And the Bible says as we rebelled... It got deeper. It wasn't very long. Cain was murdering his brother because of the rebellion. And we rebelled even more and Nimrod built a kingdom and opened rebellion against God. And then we began to develop what is called iniquity. That means we're so bent in our thinking that even if we wanted to obey Him, we still are going to fail because we're so messed up in our thinking. And God said, how can I possibly... God can forgive the sins. And you say, well, is that all it is? Just forgive sins, magic wand, and all of a sudden I'm right with God? No, because God wants to deal with the rebellion. You say, I thought He wanted to make me perfect. No. All this is all about, everything on this cross, everything He did on this cross is to show you, don't rebel against me. I love you. I've given my life for you. I've done everything for you. God, there's certain things in this world that even God can't control. You say, whoa, really? 
Do you know that when you have the ability to either be obedient or rebel? Did you know that? You say, well, I've got freedom. I can do what I want. No. You don't have freedom. Freedom is I can do it and I'll never have punishment. God told me to turn to Revelation 20, 2012. Look at this. This is the end of the book. This means it's all over. 2012 says this. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in his book. You say, what is the handwriting and the ordinance? You say, I thought it was my sins. No, it's your rebellion. When you give your life to the Lord, do you know what you're essentially doing? You're bowing your knee and you're saying, the rebellion is over. You say, well, then I'll be perfect. I'll never sin. Sin is in our body till we die. We're going to be fighting that battle to the very end. But what God wants is, kneel down and say the rebellion is over. And that's what the cross was about. The cross says we have a history of rebellion. We have a history of an uprising. The Bible says that that place that Jesus was in, that place that Barabbas was supposed to be, the Bible very clearly says that's our place. And I believe God is showing us, trying to show us something very clear. That there's only two kinds of people in the world. How many know that there's going to be a kingdom of heaven real soon? There's going to be a kingdom of heaven. That kingdom is going to be full of people who are not rebelling against God. That world cannot have one single person that is in rebellion against God because what will happen? Exactly what we're living through right now. I mean, no, that's true. So it's the sin that He forgives, but it's the rebellion we have to, for life or death. I have to bow my knee and say, God, I want the world to come. I'm tired of rebelling. I'm not going to rebel anymore. But if I stay in rebellion, there is no forgiveness of sins. I mean, no, that's true. I can't stay in rebellion against God. What does that mean? That means when I bow my knee, God, I'm going to do everything I can to be obedient to You as my King. And we bow that knee down. And He says, through Christ, we become alive. It says, we were dead to sin, but once the rebellion is broken... He says He nails the indebtedness to the cross. That means that I have a debt that is so big. In fact, uh, Matthew says it this way. Okay, there's a parable that talks about a great debt. And it says, a man owed a great debt. He had no ability to pay. And the king stepped in and said, your debt is forgiven. 
And after his debt was forgiven, he found somebody that owed him a very small amount of money. And he said, I don't forgive you. And what God was saying is, our debt is so big, the amount of money that was in that parable was so much money, you cannot even pay. The only way that was available to pay that debt, in fact, uh, it's, it's very similar to what's called our presidential pardon. A presidential pardon can override the entire justice system. And God said that our rebellion against Him is so great, and some of you... We have a hard time looking back and realize how much we've rebelled against God. How many know that? We have a hard time. We've cleaned ourselves so much in our mind. We've cleaned ourselves up so much. Sometimes we forget about the handwriting of indebtedness we have. And God's saying just really look at your life. If you can't see yourself as a sinner... You can't see yourself as a person that's rebelled against God. It's very hard to receive His forgiveness. It's very difficult to receive His act of mercy on the cross, but it's easy for me. I hope it's easy for you. Let's just put it this way. If today, every one of your thoughts were open to this congregation, everything that you've ever done was written in a book, I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about every thought, every lustful thought, every angry thought, every envious thought, every jealous thought, everything you've ever thought. And then there's other chapters that are everything you've ever done. And the Bible is very clearly saying God has that book. Everything. And here's the thing. And I've got to explain this today. That book is a book of rebellion. And that book will be read in the last day unless I kneel my knee down and I say, God, the rebellion is over. Do you understand? Because you can pay for your own sins. Oh, you say, well, wait a minute, hold on. Stop right there. I could pay for my own sins. Why have they been telling me all this time Jesus is the only one pay for my sins? You could pay for your own sins. Because when the books were open and they weren't found in the book of life, the Bible says that they went into eternal hell and damnation to pay for their sins. How many know that? If I don't kneel my knee down to God and say the rebellion is over, I have a letter, a letter that says the laws that I've broken. Church, do you know how many things are written in my book? Have you any idea how long my book is? Some of you, your book's even longer than mine. It's hard to believe, but I... It probably is longer than my book. He said he's going to blot it out. That's what they did when it was paid in full. You understand? They blotted out all of the lifetime of rebellion. How many are glad today? Today's the day he did it. How many are glad today he blotted out my book of rebellion? You say, I thought he just forgave me of my sins. Little and small, great and all to now until then. No. The book of rebellion is going to be read in the last days and it's going to condemn you. 
And unless I've said, unless I've said to God, the rebellion is over, that book is going to be read against me. And it says in Colossians, he took that book, the one that said my sentence, which was death, he went to the cross, he nailed my book of rebellion there and said, I'm going to blot out the judgment that's against you. But unless you bow your knee and say the rebellion is over, there is no blotting out of the book. There is no, well, what if I just go to church, being Easter and all, and I just say, forgive me of my sins, say the magic prayer, and be sincere, but you don't follow up and quit rebelling? The sin doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything for you. The magic prayer doesn't work. There was never a magic prayer, by the way. There is bowing your knee down. Church, if we could just do this. If we could just bow down at that cross and say, God, I'm tired of living in rebellion. Man, I'm in rebellion because everybody else is in rebellion. I thought it was the right thing to do. You know, I have had no desire for the house of God. I've had no desire for your word. Your laws mean nothing to me. You're the king of the universe. And I'm in rebellion against you. I don't live for you. I don't serve you. I don't do anything for you, God. I'm in rebellion and I know it. And, and, and church, I just can't come in here and say, say the magic prayer. But what I can do is say, bow your knee and let's live our life like that for the rest of our lives. And you know what? I know what's going to happen. You're going to fail. You're going to say, I'm still going to sin. Yeah, we're going to fight this battle together. But when you bow your knee and say the rebellion is over, God, I'm not rebelling against you anymore. I'm for you. I can't wait for the world to come when there's no more body of sin. Like, like, like there's a whole group of people, a whole nation of people in this world right now. Their desire is to get a new body that has no desire to sin. There's another group of people that said, I'm okay with sin and just let me say the magic prayer. There's no remission of sins when there's a magic prayer. But there is bowing my knee and saying, God, I'm not rebelling anymore. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm not against you. Do you understand? That letter that is written over Jesus' head was rebellion against God. And that's why they executed a person on the cross. Praise the Lord. And church, that's all I've got today. I've got a whole message here. But that's the message God wanted you to have today. Worship team, come up here. Praise the Lord. Church, we're going to stand to our feet. I'm going to open up this altar. You say, man, there's a lot of people watching here. I'm not going to make a scene out of you. I'm not going to have people watching. This is the earliest I've ever closed in a service. Everybody's shocked that I've closed. But you know what God said? That's my message. I've got five pages of notes. Everybody's just in such shock right now. It's amazing. But here's what I'm going to do. We're going to sing a worship song. we got plenty of time to worship because I closed early. But we're going to worship. We're going to take our time. They need time for the kids, actually. They're not ready for me to close. But I want you to find a place at this altar. And I'm not looking for a sinner's prayer. I'm looking for a prayer of repentance. There's a difference there. How many know there's a difference? I'm looking for people that are willing. You say, I've already done it. We'll do it again. Bow your knee and say, Lord, I'm tired of rebellion. The rebellion is over. 
The sin comes because of the rebellion. God gave me that in a revelation. You've been rebelling your whole life, and God's saying the sin is there because you're rebelling against God. You don't want God in your life, and God's saying the fight's over. Just give it up. Bow your knee and just say, Jesus Christ, I accept you as the Lord of my life. Today I give up the rebellion. I want to live for you. I don't want to be one of those whose sins are held against them. Praise God. Today could be the day. Today could be the day that he nails my book on the cross and says, Chad, all your rebellion, all your rebellion against God, all of your anger, your bitterness, your your immoral behavior, all that rebellion against God, I'm going to nail it to the cross and it's blotted out and it's forgotten. And today can be that day he nails that to the cross. I mean, he doesn't want your book to be opened. I don't want my book to be opened. I want it blotted out. So I want you to find a place at the altar, find a place at your seat. Everybody looks for a pastor to lay hands on them. Tell me that you gave your heart to the Lord, but I want you to begin to tell the Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my rebellion. Lord, come into my heart. I want to quit the rebellion. I want to live for you. In fact, I'm going to pray that prayer. Pray it with me. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I give up my rebellion. I come to you. Forgive me of my sins and my rebellion. Come into my life. Holy Spirit, I want to serve you all the days of my life. Now tell the Lord in your own words, that's what Easter, that's what Resurrection Day is all about, is Jesus Christ nailing your rebellion to the cross and saying, God, I want you in my life. So if you didn't do that today, then you didn't really celebrate this holy day. Amen? Let's worship. If you need prayer, I'm going to be up here. morning if you need help say man i don't know i've never given my heart to the lord or maybe i've been away for so long that's you this morning let me see your hand i want to help you this morning anybody man chad i want to get right with god i'm tired of rebellion i'm tired of being tired of being away from god i want my family to know god i want i want to know god and i need help because i've been away for so long my heart is so hard Today's the day. I just want to know anybody here, I, I pray with you this morning. Find me when everybody's up. After the service, I'm going to be here. I want to pray with anybody who needs prayer. Maybe you're going through something in your life. We want to pray for you at this altar. Yes, Lord. Uh, I'll tell you this morning, Just uh, I'm going to be honest and open with you here. There is a letter of condemnation that's over us. And Jesus nailed it to the cross. And our only chance of eternal life is to repent and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord with the rebellion. And I was just telling Bobby, I can remember years ago... Uh, some of you from old Cornerstone may remember this. Bobby was at church one day and dad was dragging him to the altar. 
and I was so excited. And church, can I tell you, that's how I feel every Sunday. And I wish I could just pull everybody down to this altar. And I know there's something funny, something I feel funny sometimes in public trying to get people to make those decisions. But can I tell you, church, I'm not any less passionate. We have to make that decision, and we can't just say a prayer. We gotta bow our knee and we gotta live the life. We gotta decide, God, my life is now open to you, and that's what it's all about. Either I'm open to God or I'm not. Either I want his kingdom to come or I don't. Either I want to live for him or I don't. And church, we're here to help you live for him. So if you've never given your heart to the Lord, find me. I'll pray with you privately. If you've got something going on in your life, you say, man, I've messed up. I want to pray with you because God wants to restore you today. Maybe you're going through a sickness. God wants to heal you today. This altar is to meet with Him. Praise the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. But if you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. However long we need to, we'll pray for you. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Lord, we're so thankful for your sacrifice, Lord, that... uh, Lord, ended our rebellion, Lord, that opened up the windows of heaven for our lives. Said we're alive in Christ. Lord, that you blotted out all of our rebellion and our sin. You poured out blessing, Lord. We thank you. Lord, we can't thank you enough. We're so full of joy, Lord God. I pray for all of those who are here today, Lord God. Let this message be remembered, Lord message about the rebellion be remembered Lord God and your act of love Lord nailed to the cross Lord Lord bless your people Lord God fill them full of your joy give them a blessed day today Lord in your name we pray and everybody said Amen